the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. You got to be excited about these things. We're in a series entitled Soul Winners, and he who wins souls is what? Wise. So wise people know why they came tonight we're in part four and we're going to call it say something say something wanted to talk a little bit about apostle paul and the book of acts towards the end of the 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 book and verses uh or chapters 24 and 25 paul has gone into jerusalem and uh, he's been away on his missionary journeys he's older now and uh He's towards the end of his ministry, and he comes back to Jerusalem, and there's a lot of the Jewish people can't stand him because he used to be a Jew, you know, but now he's preaching this new way, this Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And they, you know, the same people that killed Jesus are still upset, don't want to hear about it, don't don't take away our, our people, you know, don't have them convert over to that new way, Christianity. And so they're upset when Paul comes into town, and in fact, they grab him, and they're beating him, and if it wasn't for the Roman soldiers hearing a, a, a ruckus and coming in and stopping all this, Paul probably would have been beat to death. But they pulled the people off of him, and they, they had to put Paul on their shoulders to keep these. These people are so mad that they're trying to chase Paul. Uh, even with the Roman soldiers, they're trying to get a lick in. <laughs> so they get him, and they put him on the stairway, and they, they get him up, and uh, he tries to speak to the people. But as soon as he mentions anything about God loving the Gentiles along with the Jews, Oh, they, they go into an uproar, and they have to they get him out of there. And so <clears throat> there's a governor there in Jerusalem. He finds out that while Paul is in prison, that these angry Jews have made a pact. Forty of them have made a pact that they're not going to eat anything until Paul is dead. That's how much they hated him. I mean, it's the same irrational hatred that they had for Jesus. They, they want to kill this man. And so, I've got some delay going on. Yo, yo, Richard, there's some delay. Delay and reverb or something on my voice. <clears throat> anyway, where was I at? Okay, so, so they're, they're wanting to kill this man, Paul, just because he's preaching good news. And so they've made this plan that when they bring Paul out, they're going to be lying in wait and get him. But Paul's nephew is in town. He hears the plan. He goes into the prison and tells Paul. Paul gets the nephew to go tell the governor and says, tell him what you learned. And he tells the governor, and the governor says, okay. And he sets a whole bunch of soldiers, some of them on foot, some of them on uh, horse, and they take Paul and they move him out of Jerusalem by nightfall and leave and go to a town, I think they took, took him to Caesarea. And so they get him safely there. And in Caesarea, there's this governor, and his name is uh, Felix. And Felix is quite a character. And when the Romans, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the Jews find out that Paul has left, they go find out where he took him, and they go to Caesarea, and they're trying to bring their case against Paul there. And so they're going to have a courtroom setting, and they do. And Felix, the governor, brings in Paul, and he, they have this fancy lawyer for the Jews named Tertullius or something like that. And boy, you ought to read his speech. It just sounds like lawyers talking, man, just sweet, boy, just dripping with deceit. But anyway, you know how they can be. And anyway, so Tertullius says what their case is, basically that this man is causing a ruckus everywhere he goes. And finally, Felix said, okay, Paul, let's hear what you got to say. And Paul stands up and it says, Paul makes a gesture with his hand. I don't know what the gesture was. <laughs> but but at two or three times in Acts, it says Paul, before he would speak, would make a gesture. <laughs> and so he made a gesture with his hand, and he, then he began to basically preach the gospel. See, Paul is a, an evangelist at heart. He uses every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. 
before they stone him, before they, they before he's shipwrecked, before he's kept, thrown over the wall, you know, every opportunity. And here he is in his own court room, pretty much, being accused of something that they're trying to get him killed, and he's preaching the gospel. And he preaches the gospel, and he finishes like this. He says, basically, what they're trying to kill me about is because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's the question. Because I say Jesus was raised from the dead, and there is a resurrection. Isn't that what we talked about Sunday? How important that resurrection is for us? It's everything. Without the resurrection, we're, we're still dead in our sins and trespasses. And everything we're believing is a lie. But Paul is saying, they're trying to kill me because I believe in this resurrection. And Felix, having listened to Paul make his case, it, it must have touched him some. And see, the good news has a way of doing that, even to hardened secular people. I mean, that's really what the good news is for, hardened secular people. you know. And so Paul was preaching this good news, and Felix kind of got touched by it. He says, okay, we're going to... We're going to stop the proceedings for today. We'll get back together. And he sent Paul back to jail. But he says, give him some freedom. You know, let his friends come and take care of his needs and stuff. So he liked, he liked what he heard enough to give Paul some freedom. So free. Paul goes back. And, and uh, it says that Felix, in a few days, got his wife and said, let's go hear this Paul. And so that means that the governor of the town was so interested in what Paul had to say, he got his wife to come listen. And they would go, over the course of the next two years, they would go several times just to hear Paul speak. And then in Acts 24, verse 25, <clears throat> as Paul is, is preaching again to uh, Governor Felix and his wife Drusilla, it says, as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. See, unbelievers don't like to hear about righteousness. They don't like to hear about self-control. And they don't like to hear about the coming day of judgment. Because they don't have any righteousness. They don't have any self-control. And they know they're in trouble when the day of judgment comes. But you've got to let them know. Remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you've got to get them lost so that you can get them found. So they'll appreciate the gospel. So Paul has been speaking about righteousness, self-control, and the coming day of judgment. And Felix became frightened. He says, um, go away for now. <laughs> and he says, when it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. But he still wanted to hear him again. You know, it may scare some people when you begin to tell them the good news. When you begin to tell them that God is serious about that sin stuff and you're in trouble and that you need a Savior... They're, it may scare them the first couple of times, but if it's God, it's going to spur something in them, and they'll probably want to hear it again. Well, this went on for two years, and it never tells us that if Felix got saved or not. I don't think he did. He just kind of dragged it out. He would just go listen and be a spectator, but he never. it never says that he made Jesus Lord of his life, that he took that step. But after two years, he, he's uh, removed his governor, and another governor comes in named Festus. Now, Festus is uh, friends with King Agrippa. King Agrippa is the king, and the king comes to town, and he tells them about this Paul we got in prison. So he's been here for two years, you know. Uh, what do we do with this guy? He want, he's appealed to go to Rome, to go to Caesar. And uh, King Agrippa says, you know, I'd like to hear him speak. I believe King Agrippa had heard about this Jesus. He had heard about the way, the sect called Christians. And so King Agrippa wants to meet with him, and uh, Festus says, okay, well, tomorrow you'll hear from him. And so they, with great pomp and circumstance, here comes King Agrippa into the, the auditorium. He sits down, and everybody sits around, and they bring Paul out. And they say, Paul, we want to hear what you got to say. Why have you been here in this prison for two years? Why is the whole world upset at your message? And in Acts 26, verse 27, after hearing uh, Paul preach the gospel again, basically, it says, he said to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. See, he knew King Agrippa had some knowledge of the gospel. And then Agrippa said to Paul, 
you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Just in just a few moments, Paul got to speak and to make his case. And King Agrippa, a king, now that would be awesome if a king, what if, you know, somebody like President Trump got converted to Christianity? I mean, some of you say he already is. Maybe he is. I don't know. But that's a big deal. What if he was just a complete heathen and and he got saved in office? (laughs) We're not going there. But I'm saying somebody in authority of the land, he comes and hears one gospel message. He said, ah, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. (laughs) You know, hell is full of almost Christians. Mm. I guarantee you hell is full of almost Christians. People that got, got convicted by the message, but then backed away. Thought they were too cool for school and didn't receive the message. You know, I, I see it all the time. I can see when I have eyes closed and head bowed and, and I'm saying, you know, you need to come to Jesus and we're wrapping up the message or whatever, whether we be in the jailhouse or even sometimes in here, I can see people, they got their eyes closed, you can just see them, they're scratching. And boy, you can tell the Holy Spirit's dealing with them all over them, you know, and, and, and then, then they'll open one eye and look around, see if anybody else is looking, if anybody else has raised their hand. Boy, they, they want to, but they're almost Christians, and they didn't quite make it. Well, anyway, in verse 29, Paul says, I would to God that not only you, but all that hear me today. In other words, I wasn't talking to you just because you're the king. I'm talking to your servants over here. I'm talking to the people in the back of the gallery. I'm talking to everybody here today. And that's who the message is for. Not everybody's going to be a king, but the message is for everybody. I would to God that not only you, but all that hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except these chains. In other words, I wish you wouldn't be an almost Christian. I wish you would be a Christian like me. I wish everybody in here would be a Christian like me, except for these chains that I'm having to, to wear because of my faith in Christ. Now, we've been in this series, and the first week we talked about the love involved in the gospel, you know, how God loved us, how we got to love other people. The second week we talked about you got to get them lost before you get them found. And then last week, you remember we talked about the blood and the, the, on the altar and, and the sacrifice that Jesus made, the best deal ever, how he became sin for us and what it took and, and, and what it meant. And last week was very good. If you wasn't here last week, go back and listen to, to the podcast. So you love them, you get them lost, and you explain the best deal ever. But now, tonight, we're talking about you got to say something. See, Paul was ever looking for an opportunity to say something. Turn to Romans 10, 9 and 10. But some of us don't say something because we don't know nothing. Now, if there's going to be one scripture that you need to understand as far as being a soul winner and probably need to memorize more than any other scripture is Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. This, okay, so, so we've, we've shown them love. We've shown them that they're lost. We tell them what a good deal it is. And then what do you do? What do you got to do to get for that salvation experience to happen in someone's life? What is the moment that God says, that's it, that's what I'm after? Send the Holy Spirit into their, they're born again, they're saved. Because it's an experience. You're not, you're not just, it, it's a one-time thing. You are either saved or you're not. And at some point, you had to get saved. And what triggers that? And that's what, we're, the, the, this, what this scripture is going to explain to you tonight. And you've got to know what triggers that because you can lead people in a lot of prayers, but it's not, they still can walk away almost Christian if you don't know what really causes someone to be saved. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on to explain, for with the heart one believes to righteousness, meaning a right standing with God. And with the mouth 
confession is made unto salvation. So it's a two-part thing here. It's when your heart believes that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross, that what he's offering is real, that he is the Son of God, that he is God, that he was born of a virgin, those basic things, but you just believe he's God. Okay, Jesus is God because he proved it because he got up out of the grave after three days. Nobody ever done that before. So you believe in Jesus. And with your mouth, you confess him as Lord. That means I'm giving you the reins of my life. See, just saying Lord don't mean, on the last day, a lot of people say, Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. Just saying Lord don't mean it. But your heart hooking up with your mouth, believing it and saying it with conviction, with repentance in your heart, saying it um, when your heart and your mouth are in alignment. Does that make sense? If your heart and your mouth get in alignment about who Jesus is and Him being your Lord, that's what God has been after all these years. And so when we say the sinner's prayer, that might be if you brought your sheet, the salvation cheat sheet, the cliff notes, you know, it says a sinner's prayer that might go something like this. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and on the third day He rose again. And I now ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart and save me. Now what does that take care of? That's, that's saying, I believe He is who He says He is. And I confess Him to be my Lord. To take control of my life. And there was the repentance at the beginning. Repentance? Remember we talked about repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your mouth and your heart hook up, boom, that's the connection that God wanted. That's the connection that connects you with Him. Our confession is important to God. God wants to hear it because He knows what you say is coming from your heart. In Matthew 10.32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges Me publicly here on earth I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but anyone who denies me on her, here on earth, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. So it looks like confession is a little bit important to Jesus. It's important to God that you say it. Can we be closet Christians? Should we be? Private Christians, you know, I would say the devil would say, yeah, you can. In fact, you should. In fact, your Christianity is, is a private matter and it's nobody else's business and you shouldn't say a word. In fact, you're infringing on somebody else's rights if you tell anybody anything about this. That's what the devil would say. And a lot of Christians who have no boldness and don't know enough scripture to tell anybody. Or like, whoo, that's a pass for me. I, good, I didn't want to tell nobody anyhow. But can we do that? I guess the question is, should we do that? I mean, can you do that, I guess? <laughs> but if you go on down in our text that we were just reading, Romans 10, 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about them unless someone tells them? So if we're not going to say anything, how are they going to hear? How are they going to believe? And how are they going to call on His name and be saved? If all of us are so completely selfish with this precious gospel that we've been entrusted with, and we believe the devil's lies and think well, it's just private matter, we should keep your, you don't talk about religion and politics or whatever. He's, he's twisted it a million ways. He can say it over and over and over, however he wants to. But Paul said it before the governor. He said it before the king. He said it before the people stoned him. He said it, he didn't matter. He was preaching the gospel. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to wh whoever believes. And he preached it to the Greeks and to the Hebrews and to the Shebrews and the 
and to the Jews and everybody. They got to hear it. Here's another one that the devil says. Well, just, you know, just live it out in front of people. I don't believe in you have to tell people and, and tell people all that stuff. They might not want to hear it, but they just see my life and want what I have. The Bible says how precious are the feet of those who declare the good news, who spread the good news, who say the good news. Somebody's got to preach it. Somebody's got to say it. It's more than just displaying it. You've got to say it. Say something. Say, say something. Somebody right now saying, well, I just don't know. I, I feel unqualified. I'm not a preacher. And this and this. Say something. You have a testimony. Most times that is more than enough when they hear what, what happened in your life. They can't deny that it's a reality for you. That's powerful. And that's why you're here tonight, because you want to go to the next level. You want to be able to understand these principles. And you may think, well, I don't know it. I don't know it. But you've been here for a few weeks, and you've been hearing these principles, and you don't know it, but it's getting in you. And that seed is in you, and you're becoming a soul winner. And I declare it over your life right now. You're soul winners. And when we go to sidewalk stories, you're going to man up, you're going to woman up, and you're going to be out there, and you're not just going to read books to the kids, but you're going to talk to the adults. Because you're soul winners. And you can do it. You know, we've got too many Christians do a lot of talking, but they don't do any talking about their faith. I mean, what, what did Jesus leave us down here for after we got saved? Yeah, I mean, if we're not going to tell it, he might as well zap us on up. Somebody has to go into all the world and make disciples. We talk about things that we're interested in all the time. Do you play golf or tennis? You're talking about what rackets you use, what clubs you like, what you scored last time. You, you talk about fishing. Is What's the water like down at Arca Butler? What color jig you been using? Man, we talk about the things that we're interested in. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. You're going to say what you're, what's preeminent in your heart. And if that's the case, why are we offering up silent prayers and, <laughs> and silent witness as Christians? I don't want to offend anybody. They need to be offended. They need to be offended. We're trying to help them. Psalms 107.2 says, Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out! Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. Tell! Speak out! That's the same scripture that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And every time I say that, y'all go, so? <laughs> but say so! It doesn't say, let the redeemed of the Lord show so. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Revelations 12, 11 says, and they overcame him, meaning that devil who tries to lie to us and, and stifle us and keep us in a box and think that we, we have no power and authority. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Don't listen to the devil. If he's telling you not to say anything, you know it's a lie because he's the father of lies and everything he says is a lie. Automatically, if you feel the devil is speaking to you, you know whatever he's telling you, you need to do the opposite. He's telling you to be quiet, don't offend anybody, don't say this, they might not like you. Go tell them twice. Now, I'm going to make some admissions here tonight. I, I really like sappy music, you know, powerful, slow songs, you know, dramatic stuff. When, when we used to put song lists together for soul food, 
it'd either be just a powerful worship song or be an over-the-top fast jumping and praising song. We never did any medium type songs, you know, with just a, a, a loping groove. We were just either hitting them hard or slow. I've always been, I've, I, music has always touched my hearts, my strings, and, and, and I like, and sometimes the world has better songs than the, the church does. And I don't listen to worldly music, and I don't, I don't even listen to a lot of Christian music, to be honest. I listen to preaching most times. But you can be in a store or something, you hear a song, and a couple of years ago there was this hit song out that everywhere I go they'd be playing it. It was called Say Something. And it was just a dramatic piano song that built, built and had violins and stuff. And I was like, that's not a Christian song, but that's a good song, man. I, they, they did good on that one. And somebody took it and made it a Christian song later. I can show you the video. There's a worship team took that song and made it a, a, a worship song and it changed the lyrics at the end. And, and I was like, that's what it was meant to do. That's what that song was meant to do. But the song, it says, say something, I'm giving up on you. You ever heard that? Say something, I'm giving up. And, and I thought, man, I can picture this guy and then this girl in love or something, and he's loving her with all he's got, and he's he's re you know he's 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 trying to build a life with her or something, and and she won't communicate. You know, maybe he tells her he loves her, but she don't say it back, and he's like, "What? Where are we at? You know, in this relationship, where do we go? Or 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 we have a future together, but she won't say nothing." And and the song just brings these things to my mind. It, that's what a good song does. It causes you to think. And I'm like, it, it almost gives, puts tears in my eyes to hear that song, say something, I'm giving up on you. Because we got this good thing, but you won't say nothing to me. You're just leaving me dry here. 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, and he's talking about the psalmist who wrote the psalms. He says, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. We got to speak what's in our heart. If you look at the psalms, the psalmist lays it out there. The good, the bad, and the ugly and says something. He's, he's lamenting before God. He's telling God. He starts out, God, why have you left me in this dry and weary place where I'm all alone and my enemies are coming over me like a flood or whatever. But by the end of the psalm, but I knew you'd come through, God, and here you come again. Victory and high tower. And we're, we're, we're riding the way, uh, wind together. You know, it's just making up stuff. But that's what, like the psalms are. He's just pouring his heart out. And everybody wants someone in a relationship with them to be able to communicate. It's, that is the essence of a, of a relationship. <coughs> Say something. I'm giving up on you. Now see, that, that guy said he's given up. Good, thank goodness God never gives up on us. But I really believe with all my heart, He wants us to say something. He wants us to say stuff to Him. He wants us to express ourselves to Him. And certainly, He didn't die on our cross so that we could keep quiet about it. He wants us to say something to every hurting, dying, melting, lonely tired, wore out soul out there that, that doesn't know the gospel. Say something. I believe and therefore I spoke. There's a lot of people on the other hand that do a lot of speaking but you just wonder are they full of hot air? Sometimes you see people just talking all the time, but they ain't got no walk to back it up. They talk a good game. And I think that's who Jesus was talking about. In Matthew 15, 8, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, that's the case 
where the, the heart and the mouth are not in alignment. God's trying to get our heart and mouth in alignment and in alignment with Him. But these people are saying what sounds good, but their heart's not in alignment with it. No good. That You're still an almost Christian. Talking a good Christian game don't make you a Christian. You've got to have your heart and mind in alignment. And it's always been about our hearts, hasn't it? Isn't, isn't Christianity a relationship? It's not a set of rules. It's not just a, a belief, a system of thinking. It's not, you know, what's that Scientology or something where some guy wrote a book and they said, man, that sounds good. Let's make a religion out of it. All these concepts. It's about the concepts. It's about the thoughts. It's about the... Christianity is about a living relationship with, with your Savior. A personal relationship with your Savior. It's always been about our hearts. Now I'm going to confess again. I'm one of those needy people. Now, I'm not needy to everybody. You wouldn't know I'm needy, probably. But my wife, <laughs> on the other hand, I, you know, if she ain't saying nothing and she's quiet, I'm like, I'll just be making up stuff to say. I'll be poking her and, you know, show me some attention. What? Richard said, amen. <laughs> I got stupid sayings. When she ain't saying nothing, I'll just blurt one of them out just to fill the room up, you know, with some noise. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I am, you know, of course, first love of my life is God. And, and I'm trying my best to do everything I can to serve him and, and feel that he's happy with me. You know, I think it's something about fellas and maybe ladies too that grew up without dads in the home, that they, they're looking for acceptance. And I know I'm accepted. But then I want to be appreciated. I want to, I want to feel like I'm doing good. And so, I, you know, I do that for God, and I, and I feel that and everything. But still, something in me is always pulling on Angie. Angie, you see how good I'm doing? Did you see this, Angie? You see, I've been working out for you, Angie. Do I look good to you? You know, this, this. I'm always trying to please Angie, you know. Don't tell her any of this. And Angie... On the other hand, she is completely self-contained. <laughs> I mean, I could go three months without saying I love you, and she wouldn't even notice, you know. Because she, she feels love. She, I mean, she's overwhelmed. I have overwhelmed her with love. But, but she, did, she, she grew up, I don't know, she's just, she's just self-contained. I mean, she's good. God is all she needs everything. And I'm not saying that she's not affectionate. She is way more affectionate than probably most people but just not affectionate enough for me, you know. <laughs> no, no, she, she's plenty of affectionate, but I'm, I go overboard is what I'm saying. Okay, so where was I going with this? But I was talking about worldly songs, and I was thinking if it was a worldly song, sometimes I want to sing to her. It's, it's by Cheap Trick, and it goes... I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I'd love you to love me. I beg you to beg me. Y'all heard that song? God wants us to want Him. He don't need it. and He ain't begging for it or nothing like that. He is self-contained. He's he, he doesn't need us. But somewhere in the complexity of who he is, being the love that he is, he wants us to want him. And he wants to hear our voice. And he wants to hear us say, I love you. And he wants us to thank him. And I think that's where we get the need to want to hear these things ourselves. We're created in His image. We, we all are needy. We're all down here. Now, God's not. I mean, He's like I said, He's the only perfect one. He doesn't need it, but He knows we need it. 
And He knows when we worship Him and when we give Him thanks and all those things that it's doing us good. It's fulfilling us. And it's teaching us to, to value. It, it's, it's, giving, it's, it's, it's giving and receiving of His love. Even, even if it goes this way first, it'll eventually go this way. And all of our, our doubts and our loneliness and all those things that we long to be filled with will be filled with God. But it starts with our love for Him. And so when we give to God, when we give those things to Him, then it, it, it just completes the circle. Our hearts contain our beliefs and our loves. And what did God see when He, he looked down from heaven after the fall? What did He see in the hearts of man? In Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's what He's dealing with down here. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God does. But He's probably the only one that can comprehend the depravity of humans and the, the things that we're capable of doing if we allow ourselves to, to go to dark places. And we, we follow after our human hearts, our, our unregenerated human hearts. And what He's trying to do is trying to take those stony hearts out of people and replace it with a heart of flesh. He's trying to put some tenderness in the hearts of people. Our hearts are the seat of who we are. And, and I don't mean it's where we sit, but you know, I, I looked up the, the word seat and it, it, means, it means where you sit, but it also, I wrote it down, it means a place from which authority is exercised, like the county seat. That's where the authority is in the county, right? And our heart is the seat of who we are. That's where we exercise our authority. That's where we make our decisions is in the heart. It's our, it's our will comes from what we believe in our heart, what we feel in our heart. And God has given us free will, right? Can we all agree on that? He gave us free will from the very start because I don't know why, but that's what He had and He wanted us to have it. And He didn't want robots. He wanted people who chose Him. And, and it has cost Him. It has cost Him dearly. For every person who says, I love you, God, there's probably another million that despise Him. But He's given us free will to believe and to love whatever we want. And the average person wants to exalt their throne above God. The average person loves the things of this world more than God. But to be right with God, we've got to get our heart and our mouth in alignment and we've got to freely choose to love and believe Him. And that's the only way. we got to love and believe Him. And we believe and we confess or we don't. There's not any almost Christians. Well, I guess they're almost Christians, but they're not Christians. Right? There's no half in or half out. It is a born again experience. There's two people, kinds of people here on earth. There's saved people and there's lost people. That's the way God sees it. I know I, I, he's not blind. I know he knows there's different races and genders and two genders and, and, and things. But really what matters in the long run is, is if you're saved or if you're not. Because that means heaven or hell. Life or death. Blessing or cursing. And God, it, it, it concerns Him so greatly that He was willing to send His Son to die on the cross to give us a reset so that we can 
make our choice again. Because we, we chose to eat of the tree we shouldn't. We chose our pride at first. And we all did. We were born into it. We did. And so now He's trying to make us right. And He's trying to take that wicked heart out. And He's trying to put the love of God, which can be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He's trying to replace it. And so what we're talking about is how to get people to see these things. And there's a lot of acronyms that people use for witnessing and stuff. But I was just going to give you a quick one tonight. You ever heard of the ABCs? A stands for admit. B stands for believe. And C stands for confess. And if you begin to think about those three principles in light of all the things that I've been teaching here on Wednesday nights, it makes sense. Admit. Are you lost? Yep. You got them lost. Yeah, I admit I'm a sinner. I know I probably go to hell. I admit that I need to repent. A, admit. B, believe. With the heart, man believes into a right standing with God. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And C, confess. Confess him as your Lord. It, that's simple, isn't it? See, we're breaking it down, trying to make it as simple as we possibly can so that there's no excuse. When you get an opportunity to speak into someone's life, that love of God has to well up in your heart and you have to see the need in that person. You got, you got to have the love. You got to show them the, the need and then you got to uh, help them believe and then give them an opportunity to confess these things so their heart and their mouth come into alignment with God and that, that wonderful life-giving experience happens and they become saved. Not a lot of people want to admit to anything though. That's why we use the Ten Commandments and such with, you know, you ever lied, you ever stole, you ever used the Lord's name in vain, you ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes. You know, and they said, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, by your own admission, you're a lying, stealing, thief, adulterer. You know, no, well, that don't sound good, but, but that's the truth. You know, so you're guilty before a holy God. And get them to admit, you know, that they're guilty. And, and then, then tell them the good news. Because it isn't good news until it's contrasted against the truth. There was a king who visited a prison. And as he was walking through the prison, all the guys were coming up to the bars. King, I didn't do it. Let me out. You know, I'm, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Every cell he walked by, I'm innocent, king. Let me out. I didn't do it. He finally walked by one guy. He's just sitting on his bunk watching. And the king says, so what are you in here for? He says, armed robbery. He said, did you do it? He goes, yeah. He said, guards, come get this innocent man out of here. I mean, get this guilty man out of here. Because I don't want him to taint all these other innocent people. And let him go. And I believe that's what God wants to do for us. If we would just admit. If we can get somebody to admit they need saving. God will save them. Just, I mean, it's hard for us to admit. And that's where that pride comes in. That, the original sin. And that's what so many people. During the altar call. Scratching and looking around. But they won't. That's why it's so important that during events like that, when there's an altar call, you know what I mean, an altar call, I'm spreading the gospel, I'm telling the gospel and here at church or somewhere, that you be praying. Because they can't come unless the Holy Spirit draws them. And be praying for the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit during that time. I wish He'd come on. He says this every service. I, I got a roast on, in the crock pot. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> No, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to hook up and God comes into the room where He's welcome. And I believe that's what we do here at the church. But let's close. For 40, 32 years, I identified as a, a Christian for most of that time. There, there, if you'd have asked me, I said, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And, and I believe... Uh, He's God and everything. 
And then there was a time I didn't believe that, but if you'd have asked me to check a box of what I was, I'd have still checked Christian because that's what everybody checks. But I didn't I hadn't I didn't know my ABCs. I had never said my ABCs. I had never had that born again experience. I guarantee you, you right now, if it's not you, you know somebody who says that they are a Christian, but have never had that born again experience. That's probably where most people in America are. I can't tell you how many doors we've knocked on them. We try to tell them the good news and they start talking religion or whatever. And they, oh, oh, the good Lord, me and the good Lord's right, you know. Me and the good Lord going to go drink a beer tonight, you know. <laughs> They've never had the born again experience. And I had never had it and I was just toying with Christianity like Felix and King Agrippa. I had some head knowledge about it. I mentally ascended to it. I believed it. But just believing it doesn't make you saved. It's believing and confessing Him as Lord. Believing and confessing. Just believing alone is not lining up with your mouth. It's not, it's not, it's not showing any repentance in your heart. So those things must come into alignment and then you're born again. And after you say your ABCs and you mean, you mean them, then He sends His Holy Spirit into your heart. And then that's when the fun begins. That's when you do have the power to overcome sin. That's when life-changing power comes in and then the, the whole world opens up to you. And we talked about last week seeing the life in view of eternity and all those wonderful things happen because the Holy Spirit comes in. You were dark. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Now you're alive. Boom, the light comes on. Not everything up here changes all at once. Not all your situations change, but there's something that has changed. And it is the driving force. It is the seat. It is your heart that has changed. And now, Zoe life lives on the inside of you and you can begin to work it out, to work out that salvation so you see it blossoming into every area of your life. And those who have been working it out for many years now, it's evident. You can see God all over you. Yes, you do have a, a testimony. Your life is blossoming. You're forgiving folks when nobody else will. You're helping folks that nobody else wants to be around. You're kind. You don't gossip. You don't talk about folks. You're not trying to get over on everybody. All those things you used to do are falling off. And you're, you're living like Jesus. So every man has a decision to make in this world. Every woman. And as soul winners, our job is to be able to explain the decision so that they can make the right one. It's just helping them see. Isn't that what it says uh, in that song, Amazing Grace, how He opened the eyes of the blind? And that's what happened to us. Our, somebody helped us see. Somebody said something. And we saw and we believed and we got saved. And our heart and our mouth came into alignment. Any questions? I got to get through quick because Angie says she's in the nursery. Yeah, yeah. You almost have to suppress it. I know when I first got born again, I was telling everybody. I didn't know nothing about what I was saying either. It was, but uh, I was running more people off than I was doing good. But I couldn't help it. I had to tell somebody. You don't know what you 
You know that you know. You get a knowing, and, and that's the, the feeling that just makes you ecstatic. I know I'm going to heaven. And so let's close on that. Is, is, does everybody have that feeling? Do you have that knowing? Is there someone here tonight, just among friends and family, that's unsure if you died, you don't know, you, you, you believe in Jesus, but you've never had that born again experience where everything came into alignment and you confessed Him as Lord, and, and after that you walked away forgiven and you walked away something has changed you, you can couldn't put a finger on it but you feel it is there some anybody in here that because we don't want to be an almost christian I, and you know let me tell a little story and we'll close the third time my brother i started telling him about jesus when i got saved and he he was a catholic altar boy he said, I'm Catholic, I'm always going to be Catholic. And I don't know what that meant, but that meant he wasn't going to be saved. That's what he said. Okay, so over time, some a Baptist church came to his house and they told him the gospel. And uh, he, said he, he said he got saved and he started going to that church. And he, and he went to that church faithfully. And in fact, for about two years, he was on fire for Jesus. We would go to lunch, we worked together. And we would talk about Jesus nonstop. That back when I was first born again, I could not stop talking about. It. And my my brother was just me. We was back and forth. And uh, he became a deacon in his church after two years. I mean, and and I went to his church. They were having some kind of special thing. His son, one of his sons getting baptized or something. I don't remember why, but me and Angie were there. And the pastor did an altar call to come down to get saved. Well, Heath got up and went down there. I'm thinking that's because he's a deacon and he probably goes down and prays with folks. But then he goes down to the altar and kneels down and he what are you what are you doing? They I mean they had no idea. I had no idea. He he told them that he didn't know for sure and he wanted to nail it down, his salvation. And so he went down to the front after two years of being a deacon at the church. And gave his heart to Jesus. And he come walking back down the aisle and they ended church. And I said, what was that? He said, I went and got saved. I said, Heath, you lying. <laughs> there was, I did not believe it. I thought, I said, what really? What was that all about? And he kept saying, I just wanted to nail it down. I, I just, you know, I had this doubt in me. And I, and I never made a public confession of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, Dude, you're crazy. We've been talking about Jesus for two years. But you got to know in your heart. And you never know. I mean, I mean, I'd never know about you. You know about you. So, yes, it did. As, as a deacon to go down and get saved. <laughs> wow. I'd be like Miss Anita coming down, getting saved tonight. I'd be like, Anita, stop playing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, um, sometimes some of the people in jailhouse, you know, we do an altar call one Sunday and, and they'll raise their hand and they'll say the sinner's prayer and then we come back and Two, three weeks later, another message hits them and you see them raise their hand again. And I think to them, sometimes I tell them, I say, you know, you're only supposed to get saved one time. But then I got, got to thinking, that's between them and God. I'm not going to tell them not to come down and get saved if, they, if, they're, if they're unsure. If you have to say it a hundred times until you get sure, just keep saying it. I mean, it's the most important thing you'll ever have to do. It's the most important decision you'll ever make by far. Like, who you marry has is not even on the same scale with where you're going to spend eternity. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that's part of the sanctification process. Once you get saved, then it, it becomes a, a time where you begin to give up your old way of life. And, it, and, and not he doesn't take everything from you all at once. It, it's a process of living out and deeper surrender. Remember when I first came in here tonight, I said you can't go deep enough, uh, too deep for God. You can't get, uh, you don't run into a wall and say I've got as close as I'm going to get to God. You can no, you can't get close enough to God. You can keep going deeper and deeper. And so, you know, what's her Mother Teresa? You know, she 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 probably wasn't she probably wasn't even on the first rung to the ladder of heaven. You know, to God. And so we're we're all just broken vessels down here, and we keep surrendering. And there will be times when you let something go, and over time you find you've picked you've picked it back up again. Then you go back to the altar and you lay it down again. So never be ashamed of coming to the altar and laying it down, because we all have to. I have to. I I, I come up here all the time while I'm here by myself at the church, and and sometimes I'll kneel at the altar and just make a fresh commitment or whatever. But this, the the salvation part is either you are or you ain't. You know so. Maybe sometimes we, we feel like we're not saved because we're not hearing from God and we're not in a good place or we think this or that. But sometimes that's just God maturing you and saying, hey, you're a big girl now or you're a big boy now. So let's see how you act without me, you know, all in your face. Let's see how you act. You know, so you'll go through different phases of your Christianity. But if, you're, but if, you're, if your heart is to please Him, and to do what's right, and if you feel bad when you make a mistake, that doesn't mean you're not saved. That means you are saved. Because sinners don't feel bad when they do, you know, to, to God. They may feel bad for themselves, but they don't feel bad to God. So if you feel bad to God, that's a good sign that you are saved if you, if you sinned. But there's always First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so that's what, as, as believers, we just need to say close as we can to Him. Keep running to him. Yes, ma'am. No. Born again, you 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 get the Holy Spirit. You get a relationship with him. He's there, but um, it is a, a subsequent experience. You 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 get saved, and then you can get filled with the Holy Ghost, um, as evident in Acts. 9 and 19, I think, both two times there, the, the, they were believers, they had been baptized, uh, believed in Jesus, and then they asked them, have they been filled with the Holy Ghost? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. They laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So a subsequent filling of the Holy Ghost, it's an, it's, that's also a, a by faith experience you receive, and you you give yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that's something that you need. It's a deeper walk. It's a, uh, it's a trusting in, in God's Spirit in your life to, to, to operate in the gifts of the Spirit that the Bible talks about and to have you know, uh, just a closer walk. And then once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a one-time thing, yeah, but, but you can be refilled with the Holy Spirit um, like every day. <laughs> because we leak at night. I don't know what happens. Yeah. But really, it's not so much as like a pitcher of filling a glass, but it's just like we take back control. You know, we give the Holy Spirit reign in our lives, but then we find ourselves backing off and forgetting about His ministry and we stop talking to Him. And then we just ask the Holy Spirit to refill us, to reignite us, to help us remember that you're in control and give him control because he's a gentleman and he'll only take what, what you allow him to have. He'll not overcome you and make you do anything, so forth. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.